Hey, Soulmates, we are back after a very eventful, to say the least, Super Bowl mm -hmm. weekend. You best believe we will get into it on this Monday, February 13th. Welcome to Fox Souls Black Report. I am Courtney Hicks. And I'm the Cordelia Corte. We are honored to stand behind this, de this, this desk each and every day <laughs> to take you on a journey across Black America. That's right. We are here to bring you our news, our views, and our voice. So let's start with the halftime performance that received mixed reviews from some, but definitely surprised everybody. That's right, Courtney. This year, it was the one and only Rihanna mm -mm. belting out hit after hit. Take a listen. So the 13-minute set featured a series of platforms soaring above the field. I think the cinematography was great. And hundreds of backup dancers also capturing attention, this baby bump. And I was looking at the screen like, what's happening here? The 34-year-old nine-time Grammy winner confirming afterwards that she is definitely pregnant with her second child. Oh, wow, that was just so wonderful to see. And then, uh, but before the game, it's also important that everyone focus on actress and singer Cheryl Lee Ralph. She was absolutely amazing. She took to the field to perform the Black National Anthem like we've never heard it before. Take a look. That the dark past has That was Shirley Ralph belting it out like we haven't seen it before. However, Sunday night, angry viewers rushed to social media to slam the NFL for the decision to have the performance of the Black National Anthem at the Super Bowl. Now, this is not the first time Lift Every Voice and Sing was performed before kickoff, although it was the first time it was performed on the actual field. I didn't know that. Very interesting. All right. And, uh, you know, we can't forget about Babyface. Uh, he sang his rendition of America the Beautiful. Take a listen. It was giving me baby lullaby. <laughs> Uh -oh. But I love Babyface. Don't, don't, baby don't jump on me. Yeah. The 64-year-old Grammy Award winner accompanied the song with a guitar you saw there uh, featuring, of course, the American flag. Now, in a press conference, Babyface said he was surprised to receive the call asking him to perform, but was thrilled to have the chance to do so. I thought it was a little sleepy, though. That's just me. Well, and <laughs> but Black Twitter, Black Twitter can't shut up about singer Chris Stapleton. Ooh. He gave a simple but powerful rendition of the Star Spangled Banner before Super Bowl 57. Mm -hmm. 
if I had a lighter right now, I would light Listen. it right now for Chris Stapleton's rendition. And I'm not alone. Several players and coaches were mm -hmm. in tears during Stapleton's performance, including Eagles head coach Nick Cerrani. Uh, the country star was one of three performers to open the show. Shirley Ralph sang Lift Every Voice and Sing, as we just mentioned. And of course, Babyface performed America the Beautiful. May I start? This felt like an amazing entertainment experience. What's your take, Courtney Hicks? As a musician, a vocalist, trained gospel and classical, I felt that Babyface, um, I don't know if he was just playing it safe. He was just very conservative and sleepy. I don't want to get in trouble for talking about Auntie Cheryl. However, it, it I, you know, I don't know who decided to start her in that key and use the bottom of her register. Sometimes you want to be able to close your eyes and say, oh, that's Shirley Ralph. I didn't, I didn't get that. It, it was very um, Broadway-ish. I just felt, you know, I know it's a show and I know it's entertainment, but I really just wish it would have been more Shirley Ralph to me. I mean, I've, I've, you know, she can sing. She's, she's a dream girl, the original dream girl. And I guess maybe in, in her voice, as far as her tone, I didn't hear enough her. Now, Chris Stapleton, on the other hand, he is an honorary black man. It was just him through and through. And anytime, you know, he's been accepted by, if you will, uh, the black community for a long time. He showed up at a Medea play. Uh, they stopped the play, pulled him out of the audience to sing uh, Tennessee Whiskey. So I knew he was going to smash it. He's so authentic so uh, original and real. I'd give him uh, the best performance of, of the night out of the three. You know, Chris Stapleton's performance, it didn't, it, it felt amazing. I love the rendition. Mm -hmm, it, mm -hmm. it reminded me of when Ray Charles performed many, 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 many yeah. years ago. Um, and so I think his performance is really going to age well in mm. terms of Star Spangled Banner performances uh, at the Super Bowl. But, you know, Shirley Ralph's performance, I loved it. I mm. loved it so much. Mm. I want to make that my ringtone. That's Okay, well that, you, that, that is how that's how great it that's was. Where we I, differ. Mean, I mean, Lift Every Voice is a hard song to sing. And you know, obviously I've been to I've been to a number of events where it's been sung. I'm sure you have too. Yeah. You know, but I just love the arrangement there and the, mm. the part of the song where she's just sort of marching on yeah. and then that high note at the end. It was it was different, but it felt like her, it felt fresh. And just overall, I just think the entertainment for the Super Bowl, it felt so family friendly. Yeah. It felt like just a great experience from beginning to end. The game was great. It felt inclusive. There the, was a lot going on for black people in the A lot in of inclusion. Back to Auntie Cheryl, I just felt that there could have just been more of her as far as the delivery and the voice is concerned. I thought the look and the theatrics were great. I just didn't hear Shirley Ralph as far as the singing voice is concerned. I thought it was too low and and just too low and too low. We're gonna differ on this, but you know, from we a very are. technical side, I understand what you're saying, but I loved it. Okay. I loved it. We'll loved agree it. to disagree. <laughs> yeah. All right, something a, a little bit more heavier as former NFL players are suing the league over disability, disability claims and uh, systematic uh, bias. The 10 retired players that are accusing the NFL commissioner, Roger Goodell, uh, and the league's benefit plan of 
paying doctors to deny claims. That's what this is all about. Now, the former players say the board has shown a repeat pattern of failing to fulfill its responsibility to players once they retire. The lawsuit seeks to recover benefits of the former players claim they are owed and prevent it from happening in the future. So although lots of us were celebrating the significance of this Super Bowl um, and, this, and, the, and the black history of it all, um, there are some players, black players in particular, who are saying, hey, um, we're not being done right by the league. We still owe things from the league. So they took this platform uh, and this uh, huge, huge game to kind of voice their concerns as well and, and tip us to uh, what's happening in this particular lawsuit. Very serious matter coming off the, the joy, if you will, of everything surrounding the Super Bowl. Yeah, and really what, what stood out to me from this lawsuit, uh, the NFL uh, players, uh, they are zeroing in on how systematic this mm -hmm. was. They said that uh, purportedly neutral doctors were hired mm. by the plan to evaluate the players' injuries. Uh, they were rewarded with more cases if they denied more claims, all in an effort to limit the payment of benefits to the very players whom the plan was designed to help. And so that is a, a, a pretty damning mm -hmm. um, Accusation. Uh, accusation there and uh, you know especially you know given all the work that the NFL has has been doing to try and turn the page on this um, I think with DeMar Hamlin's uh, uh, cardiac arrest and survival of that I think you know the league has really sort of latched on to him they've mm -hmm. really you know sort of embraced uh, him and, and have shown up to support him mm -hmm. but I think a lot of these players are saying well what about the other players yeah. you know what about the players that are having to deal with the effects of, of, of CTE and, and other uh, football-involved injuries from the neck up and the neck down. And yeah. so, and I don't uh, think it's necessarily a, 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 a black thing. I just think this collection of players who are in the lawsuit are uh, primarily black. But I think this is a, a far-stretching uh, issue um, that touches uh, you know every player who's on the field who sacrifices their body every season. So we'll have to keep keep tabs on on this uh, lawsuit just as much as we keep tabs on all the fanfare surrounding uh, the Super Bowl because this is important. If there's no players, there's no game. Yeah, that's right. Well, speaking of fans, hip-hop fans are mourning the loss of a legend. True Goy the Dove has died. He was a founding men member of the group De La Soul. They were best known for the 80s hit, Me, Myself, and mm. I. A representative confirmed the death of the rapper whose real name was David Jude Jolicure, uh, but uh, did not release any details details. Now, uh, Trigoy previously revealed that he suffered from congestive heart failure. He was only 54 years old. Hated to hear that on Super Bowl Sunday. He will be missed. All right, let's move on here. A relative of Emmett Till is suing to try to make a Mississippi sheriff serve a 1955 arrest warrant on a white woman in the kidnapping that led to his brutal murder. Now, last June, a team doing research at the courthouse in LaFleur County, Mississippi, found an unserved 1955 arrest warrant for Carolyn Bryant listed on that document as Mrs. Roy Bryant Till's cousin Patricia Sterling of Jackson, Mississippi, filed a federal lawsuit against the current LaFleur County Sheriff to serve Bryant. Now, the arrest warrant against Carolyn was publicized in 1955, but the LaFleur County Sheriff at the time told reporters that he did not want to, quote, bother her since she was raising two young children. 
The Shelby County District Attorney's Office says that they will go through every single case handled by the former Memphis Police Department officers who played a role in the fatal beating of Tyree Nichols. Now, the officers were members of the department's Scorpion Unit. The unit was launched two years ago to patrol what police say are high crime areas. It's since been disbanded. A total of seven officers have been fired in connection to Tyree's death. Three emergency medical workers have also been fired. And Sickles uh, stick, sticking, excuse me, with the uh, Nichols case for a moment. Uh, there's new reports that say the family, Tyrese uh, Nichols family and their attorneys are taking their fight for justice to the United Nations. Now, the family sent a letter to the United Nations demanding change in MPD and law enforcement agencies nationwide. The letter addressed the UN High Commission for Human Rights in Geneva, Switzerland. It describes Tyree Nichols' death as being a part of a larger pattern of police brutality around the country. It compares his death to those of Michael Brown, Eric Gardner, George Floyd, and of course, Breonna Taylor. And this is kind of reminiscent of, you know, the message that uh, is now very clear that, uh, you know, the platform that his family uh, is unfortunately now on in regards to getting justice and getting this message out about um, police reform. We just saw um, his mom and, and stepdad uh, as a part of the uh, state of the union address. And uh, just like uh, George Floyd's case, now there's some international rippling effects as they have now uh, reached out to the uh, international um, uh, audience, if you will, to to help support this effort in getting this reform done and, and, and looked at and, and discussed. And, and, you know, how embarrassing is this for the United States mm -hmm. that, you know, this issue of police reform uh, seems to be logjam in Congress. Uh, the best we can get is an executive order out of President Biden. Mm. Um, but we're now having to take our case to the United Nations, an international body, to say that there is a pattern and practice of police misconduct that is happening in departments across the United States. Uh, and we're needing this international body mm -hmm. uh, to, uh, uh, you know, really high, highlight this issue uh, and really pressure uh, the United States government to uh, do something substantive about it. Now, this isn't the first time that we've seen civil rights leaders take their pleas to the United Nations. Uh, this is something that happened, you know, back in the 1960s, mm -hmm. you know, where, you know, Dr. Martin Luther King, among others, uh, you know, had taken the cause of racial justice uh, to the United Nations, recognizing it as a global injustice. Uh, and so part of what we're seeing here in the United States, you better believe that there are countries around the world uh, that are also dealing with similar issues. And so that's just how important mm -hmm. this issue is. And we is. just might want to add that uh, just last week, uh, Sharpton, Reverend Al Sharpton was over in Britain. It wasn't the United right. Nations, but it was, of course, an international platform uh, where he spoke about the Nichols case. And, and they cross-compared the differences and the similarities between, you know, the push for African-Americans here with police reform and, and black Britons uh, who are facing a lot of the same issues. So um, you know, this push uh, has been ongoing for a while now. And, uh, you know, it's it's a it's a good but unfortunate situation that the Nichols family has been put in. But um, I am grateful that they have uh, subscribed um, to what this now means well, and, and how they're going to have to push forward. Well, with we got message. We got to get it together. That's we got to right. get it together. Now over to Minnesota.
Minnesota, where the video from a black AC worker is going viral. After Alonzo Harmon captures the moment, a resident calls police on him after she doesn't believe the company sent him to do the job. And he posted the whole thing to his TikTok. Take a look. She is on the phone with 911 right now. Look at her. She said I just threatened her. What threat what what threat did I make towards you? I'm Elizabeth. What threat did I make towards you, ma'am? Huh? <sighs> this is crazy. I've never I already knew I already knew what it was when I first got here though. Here she is one minute later trying to sound distressed so the police can come quicker. never in my life had to deal with no bull like this never in my life <laughs> uh, you know see that's how you know that thing blows up uh with the with these crying wolf these false false cries and the police come and they act in ways that are totally unnecessary my hope i wish this young man i mean taping it was great uh, for the proof but i wish he would have just got his car reported to his superiors and went on to his next call um just a shame here we'll have to keep up on that and see how uh, people continue to react to that now to ohio where footage is is also out now of a press conference taking a dangerous turn you're looking at ohio state police slapping handcuffs on even uh, Evan, excuse me, Lambert. He's a reporter for a TV network, News Nation. Now, according to his network, Lambert was asked by police to stop his live report because they say it was disruptive. Now, there are conflicting accounts of what actually happens next, but it ended with that reporter being booked on charges of criminal trespass and resisting arrest. News Nation says it intends to fight in court uh, as they should. Again, you know, two stories that have been trending uh, for a while now. Uh, you know, the Karen Gate, you know, starting starting there. Um, I don't know if people, if, if that woman understood the danger that she was putting that, uh, or even cared about the danger she was putting that young man in to make that sort of kind of a phone call to use that sort of kind of emotion um, when she clearly was not in danger. And this is why we keep on reporting on the type of stories we keep reporting on um, is because it's like uh, this, this, these wolf cries. It reminds mm -hmm. me of the young man walking in the park, watching birds, the young lady with the dog who like it, it, you know, it just has to stop because what they don't understand is for us, the ramifications are most times deadly. Yeah. And there's a long history of particularly white women sort of weaponizing their tears mm -hmm. against black folks, uh, particularly black men. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, right before the, the pandemic, one of the, the one of the last places that I went to visit mm -hmm. uh, was uh, the National uh, Lynching Museum uh, down in, in Alabama. Mm. Uh, and if you read, you know, the the descriptions, you know, uh, of, you know, all the, the stories that they have documented of folks, uh, nearly 5,000 over 5,000 black folks who have been lynched here in this country, you know, you hear a lot of these stories. Mm -hmm. You know, so historically, you know, there have been, you know, allegations, you know, of black men meaning white women harm that has resulted in 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 death by lynching, uh, you know, That's death right. by shootings, mm -hmm. historically. And so, you know, um, 
it, you know, it's important. It's important that we highlight that this is nothing new, but it's got to stop. It's, it's really got to stop. We just talked about, we just, we just mentioned the Emmett Till case. Yeah. I know you, you, you wanted to say something real quick about the reporter who was apprehended. I mean, out there just doing his job. They say it was disruptive, but that's what reporters do. We cover, we cover live events. We, we bring the, the news to our, to our viewers. Yeah, yeah. And it's important to note that he spent five hours mm -hmm. in jail before being released on bond and, and said, quotes, no journalist expects to be arrested when you're doing your job. And that's I think it. that's really important that it, that doesn't happen in our country. Mm -hmm. You know, this is a disgrace. And mm -hmm. I think uh, the governor's office uh, should speak up a bit more uh, uh, on this. Uh, you know, this is a situation, another one that could have gone from bad to worse that's in right. five seconds. I'm hoping his uh, network gets to the bottom of that. I sure. hope so, too. Still ahead, it's being labeled as slander. Say it ain't so. We have the latest on the AP African Studies scandal, plus the justice black farmers are looking for we'll be right back you're watching fox souls black report Welcome back to the conversation, soulmates. All right, let's get into this. Uh, new, uh, nearly two decades ago, a class action lawsuit led by black farmers against the U.S. Department of Agriculture was settled. Then there was a class action from Native Americans and one from Hispanic farmers, and then women farmers filed their own. That's right. They all allege through various years of examples that the USDA discriminated against them by denying them access to low interest rate loans and loan servicing, grant programs and assistance, causing them hundreds of millions of dollars in economic loss and record-breaking land loss through foreclosures. Now, as a part of the American Rescue Plan, the early 2020 pandemic relief bill, lawmakers approved $5 billion towards debt relief and cancellation for farmers of color, but it excluded white women and was swiftly blocked by 12 lawsuits. Now, Courtney, hmm. as a part of the Inflation Reduction Act, members slipped into, slipped in a provision that repealed and replaced the original program with $3.1 billion in debt relief for economically distressed borrowers, which included, that's right, you guessed it, white borrowers. They also added another $2 billion or so for farmers who have faced discrimination. And so basically, you know, the folks in Congress sort of held hostage, you know, this piece of legislation mm -hmm. in order to make sure that white people had access to these funds. So mm -hmm. it was intended, you know, to support black farmers and farmers of color who had been historically discriminated against, but it was used uh, to uh, create access, you know, for white folks to get uh, uh, more money from the government. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, this is, you know, our government at its worst, right? You know, there's, there was a remedy, you know, to, to support folks that were being discriminated against, and it was misused in order to provide, you know, money for folks that don't need it. You know, I had to, you know, I don't know the ins and outs. I mean, you, you had more specifics, but I know for me, I had to rededicate myself to discovering or rediscovering the black farmer because when you think for me when you think of farmer and, and I'm, I'm about to be 52 and so you know coming up when, when we thought of farms and you saw you know farmhouses it was very much whitewashed and you know I know I know the black people farm I know that black people are farm I know that historically we've always grown our
our, our own food and that whole thing. But it just, for some reason, it just, it just never clicked that, you know, there's this whole society, if you will, a collection of black farmers who are just as intricate and just as important and contribute just as much to our uh, food supply as, as other farmers, whether they be white, Hispanic, or what have you. And it's just, it just wasn't a top of mind thing. So I had to dig a little deep and even, you know, read stories on black farmers who, who come from black farming families and that's all they've done and they've been dedicated and they've been hoodwinked and bamboozled and are owed by our government. And so I just, I had, I had to start there and even to begin to relate to what their fight was or is or has been. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, 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 and this fight, you know, continues. This fight, mm -hmm. you know, is really about, you know, folks who, who, who allege reverse discrimination, mm -hmm. you know, and white folks who said, well, wait a minute, we didn't have access to those dollars. And so they filed over a dozen lawsuits, you know, until they got the government to repeal and replace uh, you know, the bill uh, to, to create an access point for them. Listen, we've been farming that land even when we didn't want to, when we were forced to, so it's been our land from jump, so get it together. <laughs> well, speaking of getting it together, uh, the college board is finally breaking its silence and is firing back at the top Florida officials over the state's ban on the new AP Black Studies course. Over the weekend, the board released a statement saying that the national education nonprofit should have more quickly addressed claims that the course was indoctrinating students and lacked educational value, overall calling these claims slander. The organization also said that Florida's public and private objections had no bearing on changes that the college board made to the final curriculum of the course, which it released earlier this month. Ooh, I know this is your thing. Have at it. This, is, this has just <laughs> been a bee in my oh bonnet my for a long time. So the college board now says that it should have come out more strongly against mm -hmm. the criticisms about Florida officials sooner and that it's, quote, failure to raise our voice betrayed black scholars everywhere and those who have long toiled mm. to build this remarkable field, end quote. Uh, that's an understatement. That's an understatement. And the fact they released a statement on a Saturday, mm -mm. Super Bowl Under weekend, the radar. right? Under the radar. Uh, we, we see you, College Board. Mm -hmm. we, we see you. You, 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 could do, you could do better than that. But and I, I continue and, to. And, 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 and I don't believe uh, that they didn't succumb to pressure from the governor's office or uh, from the Florida State Department of Education because mm -hmm. look at the changes that they made to the curriculum. I mean, mm -hmm. they got rid of, you know, they made Black Lives Matter optional, you know, uh, folks like Kimberly Crenshaw, uh, you know, the 1619 Project, you know, they, they've removed, you know, these uh, aspects of the curriculum that the governor's office happened to be opposed to, mm -hmm. right? But, mm -hmm. oh, but the, the governor's office doesn't deserve any credit. I don't know, College Board. I don't feel like they're telling us the whole truth. So regardless of how invested uh, you are in this conversation or not, um, I, you know, I find it hard to believe that you, that folks can't understand that our history, and I keep saying this, our history is American history. What is the disconnect? What is the problem with understanding that? You know, it, this country was built on our backs, along with some other uh, indigenous folks who, who, who were here um, before us. Like, why, why is that so hard? Why is that concept so hard to, to grasp and embrace, and then to come up with this um, inclusive perspective on how we go about educating 
everybody about the history of our of our country. I mean, Courtney, you can't do it without us. Courtney, this ultimately comes down to critical thinking. Mm. And there are folks that, that try to dress it up and say, you know, this is about the woke agenda. This, this is about critical thinking. It's, it's about, about enlightenment. Truth, it's about it's about learning from people who have different lived experiences and different perspectives, and we shouldn't fear that. It's about the truth. And and for some, it's about electric cars that seem to be the next hot topic in the automotive industry. I don't trust them just yet. But who does it really affect? Researchers are finding that major manufacturers aren't taking child labor into consideration. According to Tesla's 2021 impact report found on their website, the company has, quote, zero tolerance, tolerance for child labor and has worked with a sourcing committee uh, in the Democrat Republic of the Congo in the past to inspect the mining conditions. Experts say the reason children are primarily used for these projects is because of their size. Our um, mining sites generally consist of small tunnels and holes. Uh, according to Forbes, New York University and the Geneva Center for Business and Human Rights found that cobalt mining in the Congo is unsafe and are calling on companies to create safe ways, eliminating the practice and improving overall safety. That's right. I mean, for anybody out there that is driving an electric car, mm -hmm. this is something to think about. You know, how do you think all the parts you know, have come together to allow you to enjoy your electric car. Well, you know, this story reveals a lot of, one of those key components uh, is co cobalt, the mineral cobalt, um, which 80% of it can be found in the Congo. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the fact that you got young kids, you know, that are mining for this cobalt in conditions that are unsafe, um, you know, should shock the conscience. And by the way, it's not just the Congo. Uh, you know, there are young kids in China that are also mining for mm -hmm. cobalt as well. And so, you know, uh, for everybody that's trying to be environmentally responsible mm -hmm. and socially responsible with your electric car, this is something for you to, to take stock I'm, of. I'm going to uh, disagree with you just a bit. I don't have no, pro no problem with being conscious and aware, okay, and, and taking this holistic mm -hmm. approach. You know, but at some point, you know, we also should be able to either trust these companies that they are operating consciously, they are operating, you know, with, with uh, you know, humane uh, ways of going about doing their business. And when I put down my money, I should be able to trust that, you know, this car is coming free and clear of issues and controversies. So I think at some point, you know, it, it starts up here with, with, with us um, needing to be able to trust these higher ups and these these concept folks and, and these folks who are pushing, you know, th these, these type of agendas um, that by the time it trickles down to me just as a consumer who just is fascinated by the electric car and wants to drive an electric car, that I shouldn't be taxed, if you will, um, with with all of the issues that have come along with it. I'm not saying not to be conscious, but that's, you know, that shouldn't be on me, at least not all of it. Let's, let's, let's take some responsibility and make sure by the time I just lay out my money, I can just go be cute in my electric car. Well, you know, sometimes uh, we, we, we've got to, uh, we, the, the government has got to poke and prod industry to, be, to do the I right need thing. To do it, and need to do it more. Well. You know, this is, the, this, this is an opportunity for us to get this right. There we go. Uh, coming up, the money in your pocket could look a little different in just a few years. You don't say. We'll tell you about the new black additions to the American Quarter when we return. You're watching Fox Soul's Black Report.
Nice soulmates. Thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of your Monday. Just in case you're just joining us, let's tap back into some of today's top stories. A relative of Emmett Till is suing to try and make a Mississippi sheriff serve a 1955 arrest warrant on a white woman in the kidnapping that led to his brutal murder. Uh, last June, a team doing research at the courthouse in LaFleur County, Mississippi, found an unserved 1955 arrest warrant for Carolyn Bryant, listed on that document as Mrs. Roy Bryant. Till's cousin, Patricia Sterling of Jackson, Mississippi, filed a federal lawsuit against the current LaFleur County Sheriff to serve Bryant. And the College Board is breaking its silence and is firing back at top Florida officials over the state's band of a new AP Black Studies course. The board released a statement saying that the national education nonprofit should have more quickly addressed claims that the course was indoctrinating students and lacked educational value, overall calling these claims slander. Now, the organization also said that Florida's public and private uh, objections had no bearing on changes the college board made to the final curriculum of the course, which it released earlier this month. And uh, the Shelby County District Attorney's Office says that they will go through every single case handled by the former Memphis Police Department officers who played a role in the fatal beating of Tyree Nichols. Now, the officers were members of the department's Scorpion unit. The unit was launched two years ago to patrol what police say are high crime areas. It's since been disbanded. A total of seven officers have been fired in connection to Tyree's death. The three emergency medical workers have also been fired. And lastly, here to Ohio, where footage is now out of a press conference taking a dangerous turn. Ohio State Police slapped handcuffs on Evan Lambert. You see here a reporter for TV News Network News Nation. Now, according to the network, Lambert was asked by police to stop his live report because they say it was disruptive. They are there are conflicting accounts of what really happened next, but uh, it ended with this particular reporter being booked on charges of criminal trespass and resisting arrest. News Nation says it intends to fight in court. Nick Cordelai, back over to you. Thanks, Courtney. Now, a building believed to be the oldest surviving schoolhouse for black children in the United States was recently hoisted onto a flatbed truck and moved a half mile to a Virginia museum that continues to expand its emphasis on African-American history. The Bray School was established in 1760, built 25 years before the American Revolution, and the original structure stood near the college campus of William & Mary. The Pinewood Building held as many as 30 students at the time, some of them free black children studying alongside the enslaved. Now, hundreds of people lined the streets to celebrate its slow speed trip into the heart of the Living History Museum, which tells the story of Virginia's colonial capital through interpreters and restored buildings. All right, let's get into some of this new money we told you about before the break. One of the most important social justice advocates of the 20th century will appear on a U.S. quarter. Civil rights advocate Paul Murray will be honored as a part of the American Women's Quarters program. That's Paulie. The 2024 U.S. quarters are currently being prepared to circulate. The United States Mint made the announcement, including Murray and those designs, which are set to be released in mid-2023. 
And in more Black Girl Magic and Mint news, salsa music icon Celia Cruz will soon be the first Afro-Latina to be featured on a United States quarter. Cruz will be honored as a part of the American Women Quarters program appearing on the U.S. quarter. According to sources, Cruz's appearance will make her the first Afro-Latina to be featured in the American Women's Quarter program ever. Mm -hmm. So excited, excited that both of mm -hmm. these uh, these these uh, trailblazers That's right. uh, are being featured in this way. I have long admired Pauli Murray. She is, uh, she, or some people might say they, mm -hmm. uh, are uh, a, a hero of mm -hmm. mine uh, and uh, really uh, a hidden figure mm -hmm. until recently. There's a, a terrific dialogue uh, documentary that's out uh, called My Name is Polly Murray. I encourage folks to check it out. Uh, she, they are uh, uh, absolutely uh, uh, an American treasure. Yeah, I will have to take your advice on that. I love documentaries. Those that those are my jams. So I will definitely, because for me, a hidden figure, this is like, like with the talk of the new quarters is first I'm hearing of her and her efforts. Uh, but I am very familiar with Cecilia De La Cruz, baby. Uh, she was just an icon, just a ball of energy. And not only was she an entertainer, but like most of those entertainers from that decade, from that day, from that generation, they also had to be civil rights leaders in their own right and she just tore down uh, so many walls and broke through so many uh, glass ceilings. She was just a ball of energy and she is really the face, in my opinion, of that um, Afro-Cuban um, um, life, if you will, or lifestyle or culture, if you will, and is still very uh, much uh, held in high, high regard. So it's going to be good to see her on a quarter too. And it's a reminder that black folks are not a monolith, that mm. there is a wide range, right, from Polly Murray to Celia Cruz. Uh, you know, uh, these are our pioneers, you know, that demonstrate that, you know, black is beautiful in so many different forms. And so, you know, I'm just thrilled that uh, that the U.S. Mint uh, has yeah, has decided to recognize thing. them in this way. I, think I got it's a incredible. few more for the list. Let's just keep it coming. U.S. Mint folks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's, let's uh, get into some black history here. A couple of uh, moments that happened today in black history. Let's start with uh, the year 1957. The Southern Christian Leadership Conference was organized at a New Orleans meeting with Martin Luther King Jr. as president. And in 1970, the New York Stock Exchange admits its first black member by the name of Joseph Searles. Searles is a former investment and commercial banker recognized for his experience in financial asset development and urban revitalization. And those are some black history facts for today. All right, and we all know that black history isn't just reserved for February, especially right here on Fox News okay. Black Report. It's a daily celebration of our contributions. 365, and we want to make sure we honor the contributions of those who fought for the freedoms we have today. Uh, he, here's the story of uh, the Civil Rights Children Crusade. Take a listen. This is kind of a sick place. Birmingham is, but not only are the white people sick, but the Negroes are sick also. And all we need to do is get up and start walking. You might look at these images from 60 years ago and say these young protesters spilling out onto the streets of downtown Birmingham were on the right side of history. They just started letting the dogs out. I mean, they used the billy clubs. Truth is, like MLK was not loved by all back then, not everyone believed this was a good idea at the time. 
many adults thought we should not have been put at risk. Among these protesting civil rights foot soldiers, Paulette Roby, Judith Rep Stickney, Janice Wesley Kelsey. I went to jail for my freedom in 1963 at the age of 13. I was a baby. They were all babies. Roby was only 13. Wesley Kelsey was 16. All wanted the simple things racial segregation wouldn't let them have, things taken for granted today. I just wanted to be able to walk in the front door. I wanted to be able to drink from the water fountain. I didn't like that I had to pay the same price for a hot dog and Coke, but I could not sit down and eat it. These days, follow the signs of the Civil Rights Trail in downtown Birmingham, and you'll find the Civil Rights Activist Committee headquarters. Her name is Mamie Chamberlain. She just passed away right after um, Thanksgiving. This is where the now adults keep the stories alive. On the wall, the preacher, SELC's James Bevel, the man who orchestrated the Children's Crusade, recruiting kids when it became difficult to find adults to march and be jailed. The goal, put Birmingham to shame in front of the world and force desegregation. 16th Street Baptist Church held a number of mass meetings. And they was in there and it was on. It was on, it really was. I mean, got you real fired up. We was fired up when we walked out of that church. You know, you wanted to, to go to jail. Stickney says many of these children were not from the middle-income neighborhoods like Titusville, kids of teachers, preachers, and doctors. The maids' kids versus the people, the school teacher kids. I'm not saying none of them didn't get out there, but their parents might have thought that they made it and they didn't need it anymore. And know this. Most of the children protested and went to jail without their parents' permission. And when you got bailed out, what did your parents say? Uh, I don't know if I can say it on tape. <laughs> My mom was really um, upset. She didn't quite think we would get involved in going to jail. We called it D-Day, where the kids came out of the school by the thousand. It was over. It was over. The protest led to Birmingham agreeing to desegregate and is credited with breathing new life into the civil rights era with the eventual passage of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Wesley, whose brother also protested, says her mom eventually came around. Not too many years later, she was proud of the fact that her children, that she had at least two of us who had um, stood up for what we believed in and try to right the wrong. And be on the right side of history. Wow, that was a- Powerful. A, very, very powerful. You know, it, it made me think that there's this old adage, um, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Even mm -hmm. back then, those babies were coming out of school in protest of what they felt uh, was, was better or more right or wrong. Uh, and so to, to see that, you know, decades ago and now to be reporting on that, again, um, some things just don't change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, I'm reminded of something that uh, Coretta Scott King would mm -hmm. say often, uh, is that, that the fight for civil and human rights must be fought and won by every generation. And so mm -hmm. I think part of what we're seeing right now, uh, protests in Alabama by mm -hmm. young people who are saying, wait a minute, you know. This isn't right. I, you know, take your hands off of my, uh, my curriculum. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, folks saying that, you know, uh, you know, everybody belongs, black folks belong. LGBTQ folks belong, women belong. 
um, that, that this is the fight for every generation. And yeah. so, you know, when we report on this stuff, uh, it's important to note that, you know, we're not sitting out there helpless. You know, mm -hmm. there, there are folks that are asserting their agency, that are lifting their voice uh, and voices are being heard. And it all started with the youth. I think this piece confirms that, you know, SNCC, those, they were young uh, adults, like early 20s, late teens, mm -hmm. late high school years, early college years, very, very young. And sometimes when I look back on stories, because it just fascinates me that they were so young, like the, you know, you, they were talking, they were 13, 14 in this piece. Um, was I that, conscious and aware. I, I mean, I know times were different. I'm a 70s and 80s kid, um, but I don't know if I had that type of composure or that type of awareness. Maybe it's because on the backs of what they did, I was able to enjoy my childhood differently. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I'd have to explore that a little bit more, but I don't know if I would have yeah. been there. Just the maturity that, you know, that was, there was, that was a different kind of teenager back then. It was. You it had was. to be, I guess, to stay alive. It was, and I'm thinking, back, thinking about my mom. My mom will be 70 years old in November. Okay, so she was. Uh, and so this is my mom's generation. generation, every single one of those women that appeared on camera are old enough to be my mother. Mm -hmm. And I remember the stories that, that she would share mm -hmm. growing up, you know, in the Jim Crow South. Mm -hmm. um, I remember the story that she shared the day that Martin Luther King was assassinated, mm -hmm. right? And, and being at a Woolworths or a Walgreens with doing. my grandfather yep. and seeing, you know, a group of white kids snickering, mm -hmm. you know, celebrating the fact that Martin Luther King had been assassinated. And mm -hmm. so, that was not that, that long ago. We look mm -hmm. at these photos that are oftentimes black and white, right? But uh, this was not that long ago. No, my grandmother's 96. And so you can imagine what she can recall. Her father was 95, I knew him. He lived till I was like in my 11 or 12. So we don't have to go that far uh, when it comes to our history, black history. So we just stay mindful of that. Still ahead, a $40,000 fine for two words. That's right, we'll tell you which NBA player is mm. paying up for his post-interview comments. You don't wanna miss this, you're watching Foxhole's Black Report. Now a little news about my dad's favorite team, the Dallas Cowboys <laughs> quarterback Dak Prescott was honored with the NFL's Walter Payton Man of the Year Award. Maybe that's why he got booed, because a lot of people don't care for Dallas, except Dallas. In his acceptance speech, Prescott paid tribute to his late mother and brother and dedicated a, the award to them. Now, the award recognizes community service on and off the field, uh, and it comes with a $255,000 prize for the winner's chosen charity. Uh, Prescott says uh, the award is the number one honor he has received in his career, and that his mother would have been proud. Another Dallas Cowboy in the news, former Dallas Cowboy player Michael Irvin has filed a $100 million lawsuit against Renaissance Hotel employees in Phoenix, Arizona. He claims that the hotel fabricated an incident leading to Irvin's removal from the NFL and ESPN Super Bowl coverage. Irvin says that the encounter was just a casual conversation and accuses the hotel of trying to damage his relationship with the NFL. Irvin's attorney says his client is the latest victim of cancel culture, and Irvin looks forward to clearing his name in court. Now, it's important to note that police have no knowledge of any incident involving Irvin. And
man, Brooklyn Nets guard Cam Thomas has been fined $40,000 by the NBA for using offensive language during a post-game interview. Thomas used the words or the phrase no homo in response to a comment from teammate Spencer Dinwiddie. Thomas apologized for the remark on social media and stated that he did not intend to offend anyone. Despite the fine, Thomas made history as the youngest player in the NBA uh, with three consecutive 40-point games. He's an absolute great player. And, you know, mm, this is a tough one. Very heavily debated uh, on, on social media. It's a tough one because, um, for one, it's, it's, a, it's a part of the lingo. And I guess, you know, when you say something like that, you're saying that I'm not like that. However, I am acknowledging that, you know, there are some nice-looking guys on the team. Um, I, I can see how it could be absolutely offensive and how he can get the um, the fine. But if, if you're just talking about lingo, it kind of goes back to the debate between, you know, when and how you're using the N-word, when it's a part of lyrics, is it acceptable? It, it kind of falls into that category. So I think more conversation needs to be, you know, needs to surround that, well, those, I, those type of I definitely Phrases. think I definitely think it's a teachable moment yeah. for everybody involved, and you know I believe very much in restorative justice, and so he's been fined, mm -hmm. he's paid mm -hmm. his fine, and uh, we're here talking about it, mm -hmm. and so I think uh, uh, hopefully we're raising the consciousness that uh, hearing stuff like that mm -hmm. uh, uh, can uh, come off in ways that sometimes people may not intend. Mm -hmm. uh, now moving on, Kobe Bryant's game-worn Los Angeles Lakers jer jersey from the 2007-2008 MVP season sold for a record-breaking $5.8 million at Sotheby's mm. auction. The jersey, which Bryant wore during five preseason games, 14 regular season games, and six playoff games, became the most valuable Bryant item ever sold at the famed auction house and the second most valuable basketball jersey ever sold. However, the record for the highest-priced basketball jersey <laughs> belongs to... Oh, you know it. Michael Jordan's Chicago <laughs> Bulls jersey, which sold for over $10 million at Sotheby's in September 2022. Yeah, man. All right, Adidas' breakup with rapper Kanye West is costing the company big money. Now, according to reports, the company is expected to lose $1.3 billion in revenue this year due to Yeezy's slow sales. Adidas CEOs say that 2023 will be a year of transition to become a growing, to become growing and uh, profitable company. Again, shares for the company are down 46.6% in the last year. Beyonce's Ivy Park clothing line is also struggling, bringing in $40 million in sales in 2022 compared to the $93 million uh, back in 2021. Now, Adidas says their partnership with Beyonce remains strong and successful. It's not what I heard. Well, up next, the man that hasn't missed a single game, if you can believe it. Yeah, the Super Bowl super fan who's already planning on his plans for next year's game. You're watching Fox Souls Black Report.
right, soulmates, a man who's been to every Super Bowl, if you can imagine this, every Super Bowl in history, Ooh. says he's still never seen his team play in the big game. Gregory Eaton is just one of three surviving members of the Never Miss a Super Bowl Club. <laughs> Nobody is sure how many members uh, have never missed a Super Bowl uh, game. They're confused as to how many are actually in the club. Now, the three of the original official members met by chance while standing in line for a Johnny Carson show. That group later encountered a fourth member and gained fame back in 2011 when they appeared in a Visa Super Bowl commercial. You might remember it. It was narrated by Morgan Freeman. Now, Eaton, the man we're talking about, was not part of the commercial, and two of the four from the commercial have since died. However, he finally met the other two surviving members at a 2017 Super Bowl game in Houston and officially joined the club as the fifth known member. The three remaining members, him and the two other original, get together every year for the big game, and his team happens to be the Lions, so maybe the Lions are, are on this great run now, so maybe he'll be able to see the Lions in the Super Bowl soon. Speaking of events, yes, we were just talking off camera we, about something that we you're were looking forward to. Look, Beyonce tickets are available. She's releasing more tickets. She just added another show in Atlanta, uh, added another show in LA. And what are you uh, trying to do? I, what are you trying I, to finesse? I'm trying to press refresh on my email uh, mm -hmm. to, to make sure I get my access to get my tickets. That's her birthday, right? Uh, September 4th is her birthday. That's wow. the birthday show in Inglewood. Mm -hmm. um, so far, I've seen uh, Janet Jackson. I've seen Prince perform mm -hmm. uh, in Inglewood. And so I think it's very fitting are to you? see another great perform are in you, England. Are you so. dipping into your 401k savings to <laughs> go see saying, Beyonce, I'm not darling? Saying, Those I'm not tickets saying. are pretty pricey. <laughs> they are. Thanks for joining us today. We appreciate you. We very much do. <laughs> Until next time, I'm Nicole Delight Corte. And I'm Courtney Hicks. Stay lifted. And help this man get Beyonce. Please. Tickets. Please. Donation. Please. And, go find and send me some <laughs> Ivy Park while you're at it. Help you out. <laughs>